Welcome everyone. We've already had a service here in Bandera in which we ordained two of our ladies to become deacons and we're still in the afterglow of that. But I want to share, well, certainly two, maybe three texts and you probably know them very well but maybe never put them together. The first one is in Psalm number 3. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. Okay? Then the one that is where I started out anyway, uh, and that is in Psalm 23 and in verse 3. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then we might as well read this one, which is back in Second Samuel in verse uh, chapter 16. And this is... Uh, right in the middle of where those psalms I've just read were written. You do realize David didn't sit down and look at a hummingbird and say, I'm going to write a psalm. Um, all the psalms were birthed out of some history that David was going through. And these are the ones I just read are two. There's more than that. But they, they were written around 2 Samuel chapter 16. And um, in verse 14, in the middle of that, you have, and the king, that's David, and all the people who were with him, arrived weary, and he refreshed himself there. Okay. Uh, what is all that about? Well, it's about what we've talked about very generally before, the rebellion of Absalom. Um, and I think most of you know what I'm talking about there, that Absalom, one of the favorite sons of David, although they never talked, but um, one of the favorite sons really in his heart, uh, rose up to kill his father and take his place. And when David heard about it, he flees the city. And as he enters over the, the mountain and then down into the wilderness, that's when he wrote those psalms. Um, but we've never really sat down and talked about the whole... Why, why did that happen? Why, why does a son rise up to try to kill his father and take everything he's got? Well, what's, there's a big backstory there. And it all begins with what I'll call the Bathsheba event. And again, I think most of you know what I'm talking about. That, that David just went crazy. And um, that had happened approximately three to five years before this. And this is really where it began. Um, because after that had happened with David, there was an unrest um, among the family, for sure, but also among the whole people. You can't keep that a secret. And I'm sure they tried to keep it a secret, but truth will out. 
And, and so everybody is now looking at David, their hero. The, the man has been the king uh, since it seems forever. And, and now this has happened and, and they're confused. They don't know quite what to do. They're, everyone, you see them in little knots in corner of streets and in Starbucks and, you know, they're, everyone's talking and no one knows where this is going. Now, that was about five years before this. But at the same time, uh, he has a very difficult family. That's putting it mildly. Um, it was a mixed family. There was more than one wife involved. He was the father. Um, but there was sort of mingling of families. A and there was one uh, Absalom. He was in one family. And he had a sister called Tamar. Well, another family, there was a man called Amnon. And Amnon had this terrible drive of lust for Tamar. And then the, one of the nephews of, of David got involved in it. As I say, it gets a complicated story. But the, the net end was that Amnon raped Tamar. And she goes out because as soon as he did the job, although he longed for the woman, when it was over, he hated her and threw her out of the bedroom and locked the door. And she stood there and Absalom, her brother, says, you know, what's up? What's happening? And, and she tells him and he says, and this was the beginning of, of so much, he, he said, just quieten down. Don't let this get out, you know. Don't don't let's talk about it, um, which happens so many times. And um, she um, realizes that David, the king, is very angry, but he does nothing about it. And so everybody is, close your eyes, shut your mouth, let's go on. But Absalom said, I'll get even. That was my sister. And if my father doesn't do something, I'll do it. That was Absalom. And David did nothing. And for Tamar, Absalom did nothing. And so she rips her gown, which was the princess, uh, a, a virgin princess. And she said, I can no longer wear this. I am no longer. And she goes, and that disturbs the whole family. Well, again, nothing happened. She has gone. I don't know where she went. She doesn't turn up anymore. But Absalom lives with his eyes on Amnon and he puts on this pretend feast and he gets Amnon to go and then he orders his servants to kill Amnon. And so now there's been rape in the family, now there's murder and Absalom realizes he's done something now that his father will have to respond to and so he flees for his life, goes into exile. David lets him go into exile. David is, um, well, he, he's a father, but it's a very dysfunctional family. And um, Absalom is gone. Finally, David says he can come home, but he still won't talk to him. Yet he loves the man. He keeps on saying that. Um, and and there's this uneasy peace. And the people in Jerusalem, the king's fans, 
are watching all this going on. There's nothing secret. Finally, he talks to Absalom. Absalom takes the opportunity now to, well, it was an American political campaign in days when there was no such thing. Every time a person went to the king, who was the high court, he was the supreme court all wrapped up in himself. And so when they went to the king and they got a bad judgment, I mean, somebody's got to lose. And whoever was the loser, David went to, uh, sorry, Absalom went to them and said, oh, you poor thing. If I was king, that would never happen. And gradually he's winning the hearts of all the people. David's getting old. In the eyes of the people, the man has had too many ifs about his life recently. And that's when Absalom determined he was going to overthrow David and become king. Well, there was another person comes in, as if that's not enough. Have you ever heard of Ahithophel? Oh, yes. Um, Ahithophel. He was David's best friend. He was his closest advisor. He knew David like no one else knew him. There was an actual title in the court. It was called the friend of the king, which meant you didn't have to have an appointment, didn't have to knock on the door. You had right to go into the king. Ahithophel was that counselor. He knew every movement David made. He knew where David would go when he wants to be alone. He knew everything about David. But did you know that Ahithophel had a granddaughter? And did you know that granddaughter's name was Bathsheba? And when the whole thing happened with Bathsheba and David, Ahithophel determined, I will kill David for doing this. And so he becomes that slimy, He's all over David, my best friend. And all the time he's planning how he can kill him. He wrote a psalm about it when it was all over, David did, Psalm 55. It's quoted in the New Testament as applying to Judas. It's, it's, you know, he says, we walked together into the house of God. We talked and we were so, I mean, all the time you were planning My words, your words were like butter in your mouth, but you had a knife in my back. And Ahithophel, when he heard that Absalom would be king, he ran off to join Absalom and said to Absalom, I know everything about David. I can lead you right to him at any time of the day you want. But said Ahithophel, I want one thing in return, that when we find him, I'll kill him. So, you have this nest of bitterness, hatred. David, what can I say? He, he really didn't know this was going on. Uh, that, that's so crazy. Because here, this plot is now coming together and, and they're all ready to pounce. And David is going along almost as if nothing is happening. And then the news comes. Absalom has declared himself to be king. And he's marching on Jerusalem. And there's a lot of people joined him. And everybody's saying that you're not fit to be king. That's when David fled Jerusalem. He fled as a refugee. He left behind everything he had. 
Everything that he'd taken a lifetime to build is now lost. It's gone. And he's running away. And there's only a handful of people that go with him. As he goes, he dresses in sackcloth, which was the Hebrew Jewish way of saying, I'm at a funeral. And in this case, David was saying, I'm at my own funeral. I'm a dead man walking. I've lost everything. And he began to, what can I say? He was being plunged into an utter darkness. He, he forgets who he is. He forgets who God is. If, if you want to give a title to what's happening, you could say this is David at the end of his rope. You could say this is David when he absolutely hit bottom. He, he's, it's darkness. He doesn't know where he's going or what is happening. Fear is on every side. Is there anything left? Is there anybody who isn't against me? Fear attacks on all sides. He looks behind him at the, the home he's leaving and, and all the possessions in the home. It's gone, finished, and he's filled with shame. He's dressed in death, sackcloth. His head is held down because he's in deep depression, despair. He is a mess. And at the same time, he is beginning to doubt the goodness of God. You say, how on earth could David do that? Yeah, he's a real man. He doubted the covenant love of God. He doubted the righteousness of God. And of course, all the questions, you can imagine the questions. If only, oh boy, if only. If only he had stepped in with Tamar. If only he had stepped in with Absalom. If only, but he hadn't. And now this is, is suddenly, the weeds are shooting up all over the place. And then looking around him, the question, what if? What if this? What if that? Suppose, because I don't know. I'm walking out into the darkness. He'd written psalms back there in the Bathsheba event. Psalms that celebrated the forgiveness of God. And it was real. It was very real. It still was. He celebrated forgiveness. But now, what can I say? I think every one of us know. He forgot. You say, how could you do that? We do. He, he forgot and now he's walking in condemnation. He's walking in shame, self-loathing. And he, he be, he's beginning to feel that even God has turned his back on him. I say that because as they're going up the mountain and over out into the wilderness as refugees, there was a, a, a fellow who was, um, you know, always, he was in the other party. He was relative to Saul, that was the original king, and he hated David. But he, this is the time. He's kept, he's kept his hate under wraps, but now everybody's... He, he comes out and he begins to throw stones at David and curse him and say, no good, worthless creature, get out of here. And, and so the secret service of David said, we, we'll get him. David says, no, no, don't, don't. He said, maybe the Lord told him to throw stones at me. What? He, he I leave it to you. That, he's in a mess. 
He's even believing that God is telling these people to do what they're doing. Have you ever gone through, what does God think of me now? Now being, when everything comes up to meet me. What? How could God love me in a time like this? How could God even bother with David at this point? If the way you can think about God when you're in this situation, you could almost hear God saying, he's messed up my plans for his life. Boy, did I have plans for him. He's messed up every plan I had. All I intended to do through David in these latter years, he's messed it all up. Now what does he expect me to do as he comes whining to me? He doesn't trust me. He's blaming me for the whole mess. Does it ring a bell? You don't have to nod. (laughs) But does it ring a bell? Uh, Have you ever realized that, yes, he was in a mess, a big mess, but he was God's mess? Have Have you ever thought about that? Because it's true wherever you find yourself. He, he was God's mess. Um, and, and what did God... God seems to almost to be excited about it. Enough to give David these psalms that he wrote at that time. God is not mad at David. He's bringing him to triumph. You could say he's a beautiful mess. That the Holy... What, what does it say in Philippians? God says that um, he will not rest until he completes the work. He will complete the work until the day of Jesus Christ. Let, let, let's stop there for a minute. The shepherd, and of course Psalm 23 is all about shepherd. So let's stay there. The shepherd is not shaped by the mistakes and the wandering of the sheep. Now think about that. The shepherd doesn't change his attitude toward the sheep because they do something stupid. In fact, when they do something stupid, the shepherd said, I've lost my sheep. He claims ownership ownership of the sheep's stupidity. And the shepherd then, based on his own commitment, his own faithfulness, his own righteousness the shepherd goes to care for the sheep. All he could do was think of how can find the sheep. But let's move from sheep to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is righteous. That means he doesn't act according to our faithfulness. Weigh those words. Let them drop into your your innermost being. God does not act in accord with our faithfulness. He acts in accord with his own being and his covenant faithfulness. That's righteousness. God doesn't shape his character by the failures of humankind. He is unbeginningly shaped by his own covenant oath, his being. He doesn't wait to be invited into David's mess. He was working in David's mess while that's all going on. 
It didn't work in David's life or our life by how loudly we plead and beg for mercy. He does it because that's the way he is. Now, you're, you're with David in that mess. But when he gets into the wilderness that evening, and it, it says he refreshed himself. That, I'll come to that word in a minute. But in the Psalm 23, he said, He restores my soul. How many times do we read that expression, know it by heart, and have never stopped to ask what it's talking about? You see, the word restore, it means to go back. It actually means to do again. It means to turn your back on where you are and return to some point where you used to be. So sort of wrapped up in the word is a disowning of sin and wherever it's brought me. And renounce I'm turning, I go back. Um, you could translate it as back to where you left the path. It's got in something very specific there. It, it is reminding me of something I've forgotten. It's a call to remember. So go back to where you left the path. And that's where the word restore comes in, in English. The Hebrew is much more specific. Before the restoring at the path, you turn and go back. It's there. Um, refresh, renew, repair is another. You, you get the picture? David wrote that in Psalm 23, and we never talk about it. You know, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leaves me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, and we go, hold it. What is David saying? That he who is my refreshment, laying me down in meadows of rich grass and by still waters. How did I get here? Because he restored my soul. Soul. We use that term a lot, but the, the, the word in the Hebrew language sums up all of your life. When you speak of your life, it's the word in Hebrew is nefesh, and it's it's everything. It's it's your life, your being. Um, it, it's the life I have. It's the life I've lived this morning. So it, it includes all my emotions. So sadness and joy and dancing and happiness and despair and hopelessness. Every emotion is under soul. It, it also takes in my mind and my imagination what I think about, how I think about, my attitude, how I imagine, especially the future. Soul. He said, you restore my soul. That is, you restore my total person. You restore everything there is about me. It's not in some buried spiritual place. It is your mind, your emotions, the way you think of yourself and the way you think of God and the way you think of everything. My soul. You see, 
and and I'm not I'm not letting people off easy, but let's be real about it. In our pain, real pain, you tend to forget your identity. This goes with the territory. You're in pain and you you forget. And you forget the character of God because circumstances are crushing you. And so as soon as I've forgotten, even though it be momentarily, like in a vacuum, all of the condemnation and anxiety comes rushing in. The if only and what now? We forget who he is. We forget who we are. We become blind, wrapped up in the darkness. But he comes into our darkness. You say, well, that shouldn't happen. I'm a believer. Oh, stick around. <laughs> yeah. See, you've been, you've been told that, you know, accept Jesus and none of this ever happens. <laughs> no, it happens. The fact is, I've, my eyes have been opened, and remember what you've seen, you can't really unsee. And I've seen that that risen Jesus is resident in me through the Holy Spirit. But still, we can forget. Okay. That's what he was going through as he came over the mountain down into the wilderness. And that's 2 Samuel sixteen fourteen. He said they, they came to that spot, wherever it was, and they were weary. And in the Hebrew, as well as in English, I guess, it means totally exhausted. It means hung out to dry. It means you're done. You're finished. You can't put another foot before the other. Weary. Bone tired. Weary. In mind and emotions, your whole nephesh. And it says, that's where they met with refreshment. Now, yeah, it means refreshment, but it's very specific word, and I didn't realize how specific it is. It means the refreshment that comes when you're like that and a cool wind blows on your face. It's the meaning of the word. Means I'm just, I can't lift another foot, and there's a cool breeze, and the cool breeze brings ah refreshment, life, especially when you realize that cool breeze is the Holy Spirit. But did you notice in Second Samuel it said he refreshed himself? It's often that said again. I won't go there, but. Uh, in the other place, he said he strengthened himself in the Lord. Now it says he refreshed himself. What does it mean? Well, there's only one who refreshes. There's only one cool breeze. But David, in that moment, it will be a metanoia moment of seeing, remembering, and taking what is mine and realizing this is mine. And so in that sense, I refresh myself. Or to put it another way, the Holy Spirit doesn't gate crash. He doesn't slap me around the head and say, get a life, man. He, he just, the breeze, and the breeze of life, and the breeze of light. And I awaken to that, and I suddenly remember who I am, I remember who he is, and I take it. 
to all that he had forgotten is suddenly brought into remembrance. And I might say not always as suddenly as a zap. It can be a gradual remembering, as if I'm coming out of an amnesia and, and I'm remembering who I am and I remember who he is. And so in that remembrance, I remember my forgiveness. God doesn't have to forgive me again. His forgiveness holds. I just forgot. I remember his covenant faithfulness. And faith responds to faith. You you never have to say, I've got to have faith. I've got to have faith. See the faithfulness of God and that brings with it an echo of faith in me. He restores my life, restores my very being, all that I am in my mind, my imagination, my emotions. You could say he restores my personality because I can be a mean person if I don't see the truth. This changes. We turn, that restore, you turn. You turn from focusing on circumstances and you turn, remembering that he is in the now, and therefore he's exactly where we are, in us where we are. This is his mess, these are his circumstances. It's a turning from the darkness and all the distortion that comes with the darkness to the light of the face that enlightens our entire being. I say again, that's metanoia. You know, that radical enlightening of the mind so I see things as they truly are. You've got to, I think you understand, faith is not the ability to get something. I know that goes up against a lot today, but it isn't I had so much faith I could get it. Faith is the realization that I have it. I can take it. Did you get that? I know what many of you have been taught. I know that. Some of the people who taught you have had, shall I say, godly discussions for a whole day. And, and, and there emerges this difference between what they say and what I'm saying. I say it again, faith is not the ability to get what you don't have. I've been in some churches to preach who really believe that. And the congregation was the most pitiful, despairing group of people because all they knew is I don't have it, but if I say it enough, confess it enough, believe it enough, and get more faith, I'll have it. That's not biblical. Faith is my eyes are opened to see his faithfulness, to see he is the shepherd, not me. He is the one who is already in the process of restoring. My eyes are opened and in the opening I see I have it. 
Because it is not an it, it's he. Do you see? Okay. David suddenly, in that sense suddenly, as I say, it can take a little while. And David's whole language changed. And he confessed the truth of the way things were, not the way they appeared to be. If you are a lost sheep, sheep are, in England we say they're the daftest creatures. Um, they have no no concept of, well, there's no sense. If the shepherd is not there, they will do pure insanity. I have actually seen one sheep go over the edge of a cliff. And 20 followed. Why not? Seems like a good day. The, you, you get a sheep, it will break through a hole and the whole herd will follow through. Um, sheep don't have any sense of any, anything. Um, but let the shepherd turn up. You could say the sight and smell of the shepherd brings a, a flood of remembrance of care and the sheepfold and food uh, and the sheep respond. We are sheep. And, and of course at the sight of the shepherd with that remembrance then the wilderness which I thought was such a fun place now looks stark empty danger death dry. You see, the, the shepherd is home. So, again, the shepherd doesn't take you home if you're way out there in the wilderness. The presence shepherd is home. Is home in the middle of the wilderness. And so suddenly the wilderness isn't there for all intents and purposes. So I say again, restoration is not getting somewhere, but it's wrapped up in the shepherd. The shepherd is forgiveness. The shepherd is acceptance, is the wisdom to get wherever we're going. He knows the path. He knows the path to restoration. All the hope of future paths of righteousness are wrapped up in him. So David turned to the one he'd forgotten. And in so doing, turned away from the darkness of lost and drowning in circumstances. Now, we say turned. Again, many of us have been taught that turning is quite an event. I mean, howling, whining, yowling, um, running forward to untold altars and screaming at God, crying at God, begging at God, promising to God, I'm turning. <sighs> turning, I've been doing it ever since I sat here. I turn, look up there, I turn there, I turn there. Have you noticed when I turn here, I can't see there? When I look up there, I can't see any of you. To turn to God is not a yowling experience. It's turning. As simple as that. 
I am no longer focusing on all that is happening to me. I focus on the faithfulness of a God who said he's never left me nor forsake me. And in so doing, everything changes. And again, I don't want to give the impression this is a speed train. But yes, everything changes. And so he said, you restore my soul. That included a turning away from wherever he found himself back to where he used to be remembering and he's now the shepherd has done that. And in that other psalm, Psalm 3, now let me read the whole thing. He said, my adversaries have increased. He said they're growing like mushrooms. People I'd even forgotten about and they're turning he says, and they're saying on the street corners, many there be that say there is no hope or salvation for him in God. That's what they And the fact he puts that at the head of the psalm, this is where he was at. He's, he's reporting to us now. But then the next verse says, but thou, O God, art a shield around me my glory and the lifter of my head. So I'm looking at all the people screaming at me, telling me, get lost, man, you're finished, you're done. I turn away from Absalom saying, I'm going to kill you and take everything you possess. I turn. But. But. There's a but. That is true. Those people ask, I'm not in denial. Those people are saying that. But there's part of the equation they've forgotten. But thou, you're a shield about me. And, and the word there is a wraparound shield. That is not just a little thing in front of you. This is one that it's almost like body armor. You're a shield to me. You are my glory. My glory isn't in the house he's trying to take from me. My glory isn't in all the treasure that's in the basement. You can take that away and I am still the wealthiest man because you are my glory. And you're the one that comes and lifts my head. So I'm no longer crushed with depression. You lift my head. He turned away from doubt. He turned away from fear. Turned away from shame and guilt and darkness that clouded his mind. And of course, behavior flows out of that. Religion says you've got to have this behavior. The scriptures say change your heart and that will be your behavior. We love because he first loved us. Love one another as I have loved you. He, he, he's the initiator. And so his restoration was not with long crying and beating himself. Just a look, a turn. He was looking away now from the mess that he's in. And he looks into the face of love and faithfulness of his God. If you're face to face with circumstances and you turn, you're face to face with the Father in Christ so real this is not fiction no i'm not i'm not saying this is how god sees you but i know you're still in the mess
Um, I am, uh, yeah. No, it's not. This isn't fiction. This isn't that something happened somewhere in the courts of God and, okay, but now reality is I'm in a mess. No, this is reality, that he is in me, with me, around me. It's his mess in me. So at the end of that psalm, this is so real, he says, surely, which means absolute truth, surely, goodness, covenant, loving kindness, shall relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life. Absalom is pursuing me, but between me and Absalom is you. Right? It's interesting, same way. See, the only time in the whole of the Old Testament where uh, that word is translated in most of your Bibles as surely goodness and loving kindness shall follow me. Oh, what a pathetic, wimpy word, follow Every other time that that's translated in the Old Testament, it is to relentlessly pursue. And usually it is of an enemy that is relentlessly pursuing you. Usually. And David takes that word. He didn't say it follows me. He said, Absalom is pursuing me. He said, okay, goodness and loving kindness is pursuing me. I'm breathing down my neck. That's how it goes. He made a trust response. He said, now he leads me. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Leads, guide. That's a gentle word. He doesn't threaten me. doesn't drive me, which is the amazing thing, especially with Israeli shepherds. Um, I've, I've seen amazing things. Every sheep has a name, pet name. And, and I think I've told you when I was in Jerusalem, and um, there must have been five flocks that had gathered, hundreds of sheep. And the shepherds were, you know, talking. And um, then one of them said, Okay, I'll, I'll see you around. And and he walks away, and as he walks away, he's shouting out the names of every sheep that's in his flock. And you see them pushing and shoving through the others to get after him. They, they follow. See, here in the West, we beat our sheep and they get ahead. Of, we don't, but they followed the Israeli shepherd because he called their name. He leads me, gentle. And if you're going to lead, it means that you realize you're not on a private hike. You know, if I'm going to lead you, I have to consider who you are. Uh, I mean, if if you've got a bad foot, um, I'm not going to go on a race. You know, it's, um, you follow me, and I'm serious about that. Leading... A good leader knows the capacity of the weakest in the flock, so we're not going any faster than that. Even though we've got some strong ones here, they just want to get on. No, and that's actually. In the, do you remember Jacob when he's bringing? I'm sure you read this a million times. When, when he's bringing um, his gifts to Esau, 
And Esau says, you better hurry up. You're not getting here on time. And Jacob sends back, he says, I lead my flock at the speed of the weakest lamb. And that's why we're not getting there as fast as you thought. And um, that sums that up, you know. Um, and, and for the being led means complete dependence upon who's leading you. Uh, you you're not in competition with the leader. You're, you're following, you're, you're dependent. You have submitted, you, you trust the leader. Otherwise, it's not leading. That's, that's the leader. Um, our behavior then falls in line with the leader. We do what he does because we don't know where we're going, but the leader does, so I trust, I submit, and I, I fall in. Our behavior changes in accord with who we're following. You know, um, I, at one point when I was preaching in Africa, actually I'd, I'd been lost in the jungle a thousand miles from the capital of Zimbabwe, and um, that's kind of not nice. Uh, and we we stumbled, literally, uh, on onto a camp of um, game wardens. And they're very weird people. They live deep in the jungle, their life, and almost hermits, look after the animals as, you know, like a warden. And, and this, this, we came and I said, look, we're lost. Um, Give me a hammock for the night. Give me a something to eat and drink. And um, he said, "Okay." Can I told him who I was? I'm on my way to preach somewhere. Don't know where I am now. But um, he said, "Okay." He said, "I went on furlough to the capital." And he said, "While I was there, I became a Christian." And he said, "But I, I was gone within three days to come back." And he says. I don't know. I've tried to explain to the other wardens, but he said, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. He said, so if, if you are a Bible teacher, he said, I'm the only one here that has um, light. It's a generator. Um, and so he said, we'll all come into my house and you talk for the night and, and tell us, tell them what happened to me. And so I did. Great time. Well, afterwards, he came and he said, I can't pay you. I said, I don't. He said, no, he said, I really want to. So he said, I'm going to give you a gift. He said, normally it will cost $1,000. But he said, I'm giving it to you. He said, I'm going to take you into the jungle on foot. You never do that. You go in a Humvee way. He said, I'm taking you on foot. And we are going to meet every animal in Africa face to face. Gee, thanks. I mean, <laughs> seriously, I can't pay you, but I've arranged for a night in the lion cage. It's a, I, I prayed for tornadoes and hurricanes. And <laughs> I'll never forget getting out of my hammock that was slung between two trees and over there by the, the campfire, and he was already there, 4.30 in the morning. And as we go, and I said, don't you have a gun? He said, well, he said, we're in their territory. And he said, they know what a gun looks like. And if you have a gun, they're going to attack. So he said, I've got, I've got this. And he opened his coat and there was this, well, pigeon gun. I'd, 
wouldn't kill anything. But he said, no, he said, but he said, now, everything I do, you do. Because he said, we are going to look at every animal. And he said, I know how to walk. How, and I did. He was my leader. Therefore, I submitted. Terrified, <laughs> but I submitted. And so, as we came to these animals, he would go down on all fours. Sometimes we would lay. I was right there with him. And um, I've never forgotten that, of course. There's more to that story. But um, the dependence, a, a true leader, he took me for four hours. We were in the jungle and, yeah, we met every animal. I'm still here because I submitted to his leadership. Um, there's no question if when he went down, if I had stood up to take a tourist picture, I wouldn't be here today. I can't emphasize this enough. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. That means I, I don't know where this is going to end up. It says the paths of There's more than one path. And on, on certain days and months and years, you are on a path you wish you weren't on. But you follow. You submit it. You never doubt. The shepherd knows where he's going. He knows what he's at. You see, because this leader is not up ahead of us. He's inside of us. We're walking in union with the shepherd. In union. Seamless union. Simultaneous union. For me to live is Christ. For me to nefesh is Christ. And if things get bad, the shepherd doesn't walk away. If I act stupid, the shepherd doesn't walk away. Because it's righteousness. He lives according to his true being. See, paths. Who made the paths? Uh, and this is, this is, you know, really out there in the wilderness of that area. The shepherds made the paths. And they're rutted paths. I mean, they're not paved. But they're, they're made by the shepherd. They know from here to the next best grass and water, um, you go this way. And if one shepherd found it, the other shepherd will pick it up. And So the path was really the care, the wisdom, the strength, of the shepherd reflected in the dirt. This path, wherever it leads, is the best possible path to get to where we're going, which will be to more food. It certainly doesn't always appear so. The next verse says, even if it leads to the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, but they're all with me. It's okay, I'm following. Trust in the shepherd's voice. You know, so you could really say the shepherd is the path. Je Jesus was going to say that in John, John 14. I am the way. I am the path. 
He's the path of righteousness. Um, he's not up ahead saying, this is the path. Follow me. He says, I am the path. And I'm within you. And we walk in this together. We track together. And I said he's going somewhere. It's only going to further nourishment. It's not, the path doesn't lead me to acceptance. I'm on the path because I'm accepted. I'm on the path because I'm in the flock. So in that sense, we're not going somewhere. All it will be the nourishment that I need. It's cut, fashioned by the shepherd with purpose. So there's no path that leads nowhere. I have to remind myself of that sometimes. We're on paths. Surely this is going nowhere. Yeah. Every path was cut, functioned by the shepherd who knew where it's going. Um, and, and no path suddenly appears. It's developed. Um, again, it, it's there because the shepherd cut it there. Path. When you say path, you're talking about movement. It doesn't say bed. It says path. You don't, you don't. It's movement in a relationship in which we're, we're constantly discovering the shepherd. Our hearts are burning within us. We're in step with relationship, shepherd, covenant fellowship. We're discovering the other members of the flock. We're all moving. It's not passive. The path grows brighter as the days go by. It's a path of righteousness. That is a path that reflects in every way the being of the shepherd. And when I walk it, my walk reflects the being of the shepherd. And so we understand maybe better Christ is the righteousness of God. That is, he bees the exact representation of the Father. But he, that representation of the Father is that he lives in me and I live in him and together faith. That's the righteousness of God. So the Father looks at the Son and says, you are my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. But of course you do know that you're in him and he was looking at you at the same time. So the Father looks at you and says, you are my beloved child. And you are well pleased. And he does all this, he says, for his namesake. We could spend a lot longer there. His namesake. All that he does is for his namesake. Not your namesake. For his namesake. You know, you, you heard people, they, they, they go to live down at the seashore for the sake of their health. That means the cause, the reason, the initiative of going to live on the seashore, is the cause is my health. And so when, when I'm living there, 
I'm not living there for the scenery. I'm living there because my health needs that. Have you ever heard couples say we stayed together for the sake of the children? And again, the, the children are the cause of what we're doing. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He doesn't do it because you're pathetic. He doesn't do it because you scream for mercy. He doesn't do it because you're the best sheep in the flock. The fact is, we have nothing to do with it. He does it for his name. He does it because that's the kind of God he is. He's the cause. It's, as I say, we could talk about it a lot. Um, he's the cause of his action. He's the cause of his being toward us. This is total rest if you're hearing half of what I'm saying. It's out of my hands. But on the other hand, what he does initiates faith in me that I take who he is. And of course, because he does it for his name's sake, it is absolutely rock certain. Because if he did it for my name's sake, it might last for a day. And then I screw it up. Seriously. But if he does it for his name's sake, then his doing can never fail. If it failed, God would fail. So therefore, I, my part is, I lay hold of that because I am, now I've seen this is not something flimsy. It's not a suggestion that might be impossible. No, this is God's being, is the cause of what he's doing in my life. Therefore, I can lay hold of that. That evokes faith in me. I, I, can, I can take that. He, he owns his sheep. And because he owns his sheep, he takes responsibility. And when we go astray, for his name's sake, the shepherd has a reputation. A lost sheep is bad for the shepherd's reputation. A lost sheep in God's flock is the end of God. He has sworn with a covenant oath for his namesake. Okay. This is not a prayer. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. But thou, O Lord, art a shield. They're not prayers. They are statements, they're declarations. They are standing into truth in the same way as you got swamped in despair. It's this awakening, this metanoia to realize the shepherd never left me. And all that nonsense, the shepherd never left. He returned me to the path. He restored me. It wasn't that I was trying to find my way back to the shepherd. It isn't that I'm, I'm a shepherd chaser. Um, no sheep is. Um, 
Well, it's true. I, I am quoting some chaps I know. Um, no. He restored my soul. He leads me. Mine is to lay hold with the faith that is really his faith. I mean, why does the shepherd do all of this? Because he has faith that he can. Why does the shepherd go into the wilderness to find the sheep? Because he has the faith. He'll find the sheep and the faith. He'll bring the sheep back. It's his faith. Well, when Andrew was preaching the other week, talked about, you know, the sheep is now around the shepherd's shoulder. And as he's coming home, the sheep says, I, I've decided to follow the shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pray, pray the sin sheep's prayer. Yeah. We're not making fun of this, you know. This is real. The moment you realize your position in Christ, that your fullness of the Spirit, that your behavior hangs upon for his namesake. And on that faith, the faith he has to achieve that, which has been declared since before creation, Ephesians 1, 3, he believed. The whole creation is God's faith that he will do this. And we lay hold upon that and realize faith doesn't get us somewhere. Faith realizes it is. So it's not trying to make something happen in the future one day, nor is it saying, if it be your will. But it is the declaration that in this moment it is so. And you might say that very timidly to begin with. That's okay. Some of these psalms sound very strong and authoritative, but when you realize a minute ago he was terrified, this is, this is not necessarily spoken boldly. It's the beginning of boldness, but timidly I, I say what God says. And so that's it. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And to that end, he restored us. And the cool breeze of the Spirit refreshes us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for that cool breeze of your Spirit, which refreshes us with truth. Thank you. You strengthen us, you enable us just simply with truth. Save us from the lies and the darkness by causing your Spirit to open our eyes. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.